Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so thrilled today to welcome my good friend and author, Jill Tejan, to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Jill. Thank you, Gretchen. What a pleasure to be here. You know, I I could have really gone on and on and on. I mean, you're a member of the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. You've got numerous awards and achievements in your life, Jill. But um, I I just am so excited to have you here because I just think you're one of the most awesome women in the world. And it's been thrilling to know you for the last, oh gosh, probably 15, longer. 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 I think it's I think it's 20, Gretchen. Yeah. I really do. And and a fellow engineer. And because I'm a mechanical engineer, I I have so much respect for somebody who can figure electricity out as an electrical engineer since I nearly flunked those courses. I think I I always joke I'm not wired that way. And I have no mechanical ability, Gretchen. So there's there's a reason there's electricals and mechanicals and most people aren't both. Um, Right. So before we dive into your latest book, I wanted to talk a little bit about your early career. And in doing a little bit more research on you, Jill, I discovered that you were one of the first 10 women to graduate with an engineering degree from the University of Virginia, which that is, is correct. quite an accomplishment back then. And so tell us, tell our audience, how did you become interested in the field of engineering to begin with? Gretchen, it's a very interesting story. I grew up in Hampton, Virginia, and my father, I'm the oldest of four, my father was a PhD engineer at NASA Langley, which is actually the setting for the movie Hidden Figures. Wow. So I I can't ask him because he's not here anymore, but he had to know all of those women Hmm. who, who were in Hidden Figures. And so... Oldest of four, we were told we would go to college. We would go to college in the University of Virginia. We would do in-state school because he needed to send four of us to school and he had to be able to afford to do that. And I wanted to go to the University of Virginia. And I'm very lucky that the University of Virginia admitted women as undergraduate students for the first time in the fall of 1970. Wow. And I was the fall of 72, 1972, which means I was in the third class, but I didn't start in engineering. I loved calculus. Nobody told me that I should consider engineering as a career, not even my PhD engineer father. In fact, one of my guidance counselors at high school told me not to bother applying to the University of Virginia because I wouldn't get accepted. Mm -hmm. And that was bad advice, and I ignored it. And I applied and was accepted. And I started as a math major in the College of Arts and Sciences. And halfway through my first semester, I just knew I was in the wrong place. I could see students, people around me, male and female, who were doing engineering. And that's where I wanted to be. Hmm. So I went to the dean and we made all of the arrangements so that I could transfer. Wow. And it's so interesting um, that your father as an engineer didn't encourage you. And I've, I've told the story on multiple podcasts, but uh, my father actually told me I couldn't go to engineering school because Ugh. girls didn't do that. And um, 
was quite upset when I turned down Harvard to go to engineering school because Harvard didn't have an engineering school at that point. And um, yeah, it's just so interesting, um, the, the whole gender side of, of engineering. So you, then you had a successful career, a very successful career as an engineer with multiple firms, ended up in Colorado. And then it, similar to me, when I left FMI and became president of the Women's Foundation, you took a turn in your career where you headed towards um, being even more of a, a strong advocate for women in engineering. Tell us a little bit about that. I had been the national president of the Society of Women Engineers in 1991-1992, and I was then asked to serve on the external advisory board, I think it was called at the time, for the Women in Engineering program at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I agreed to do that. And then over time, the woman who was the director of the Women in Engineering program left and they began, the board began the process of helping the university find a new director. And I was curious to find out if I wanted to then put into action what had been my avocation as my vocation. Mm. And so I applied to be the director of the Women in Engineering program at the University of Colorado at Boulder. I, in fact, did accept, I was offered and accepted that position. I was there for three and a half years and did very well in that position, loved it, but realized that that was not what I wanted to do full time. Mm -hmm. And because I was raising money for the program and really determining the the whole construct of the I, I I rebuilt the program from from the ground up, realized that I could run my own small business and mm-hmm. had now the confidence to be able to do that. And so I left the University of Colorado at Boulder at the end of 2000 and started my own firm, which is what I'm still doing today. Although that's morphed. It was mostly engineering consulting at the beginning. And now it's my books and my speaking and, you know, everything that I'm doing. Yeah. And, and Jill, and everything that you're doing, which is a lot. Um, What do you think? It's interesting because serving as president of a national society stepping up in such a big way to support women in engineering, what do you think inspired that passion in you? What inspired that was graduating from the University of Virginia, knowing that there weren't very many women in engineering at the University of Virginia, because as we've already discussed, I was in the third class. But then when I went to work at Duke Power Company, there weren't any women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that it was a broader issue. So that was one of the things. Then the other thing, which is really a huge motivator for me, was that my degree is in applied mathematics with a minor in electrical engineering. It was in the engineering school. I was an officer of the engineering school. I'm in the Ta Beta Pi, which is the Honorary Engineering Society, all those things but didn't know until after I graduated that my degree wasn't ABET accredited. Mm. And so that was a huge motivator to me, all, all of those things to then go and tell young women, if you have these kinds of aptitudes and interests, you need to pursue an engineering career. Here's why. And then also 
I loved, I have, I still do. I love being an engineer. I am an engineer. (laughs) I solve problems. That's what we do. Right. No, you know, and my job has always been making sure the lights are on. One of my friends says it's KLO, keep the lights on. Right. That's a very sad, that's very satisfying for me to know that that's what I help to do. And, and so I, I just want to make sure that young women and young men have the opportunity to have this satisfying of a career and to make this much of a difference in the world. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really interesting things that we're starting to learn in engineering and construction. And um, oh, I'm, I'm spacing on her name, the founder of Goldie Blocks talks about the research related to especially how women want to know the story of what we do and how it impacts society. And that's the connection that a lot of people don't make when I say, look, do you want to charge your cell phone? Do you want to drive on a road or fly out of an airport or have a baby in a hospital? Those things all get constructed. And and so understanding the role that we play in building and maintaining the assets of society. And as you said, keeping the lights on, um, it's a really critical role. So the first book that I remember being introduced to you, and I I think you've written 11 books now, 12 now, 13 got number 13 got submitted last week. Great. You're on a roll. Um, Was her story her? Am I saying the title of the book? Correct. It's her story, a timeline of the women who changed America. And that was actually number five, but Mm -hmm. it was the first commercial mass market kind of book that I wrote. And what inspired you to write her story? I participated in the fall of 2002 in a women in technology panel for Raleigh Heath's campaign for governor. Raleigh Heath was running for governor of Colorado and his campaign organized this women in technology panel and I spoke. And afterwards, a woman whose name is also Jill came up to me and said, let's have lunch. We had lunch. She said, I must introduce you to my friend, Charlotte. And Charlotte Waisman and I had lunch in February of 2003. And at the end of lunch, where we were talking about our interests in books and women and writing and lots of other things. She said, we're going to write a book together. Hmm. I said, okay. And five years later, for those people who are listening, who think you know that these things come out fully baked and you know exactly what's going to happen. And it, it happens in just a blink of an eye. Five years later, we had a book. Hmm. Uh, and, And Charlotte said at one point during the process, maybe more than once, there's no book like this. And I just went, oh, okay, Charlotte, that's fine. You know, <laughs> but mm. she was right. Mm. There is, there was no book like that. And once I found that out after it was published, I went, how can that be? And maybe you know this, Gretchen, and maybe the listeners know this. There are something like 16,000 biographies of Abraham Lincoln. Wow. So when people say to me, well, you know, women in history, that's already been written about. I went, we can have 16,000 biographies of Abraham Lincoln. And if we have two books on women in history, that's too many books. Wow. 
Yeah, and and it, it's a great book. I mean, so I joined the Women's Foundation in 2005. I was there from 2005 to 2009. So sometime in my period as president there when I stepped away from construction um, was when that book came out. And what was the, I mean, beyond telling the history of, of, of women, what, what was the core purpose of that book in your mind? Well, it all started with a story from Charlotte, which is she went to a tea and they were playing games. And one of the games was a list of 10 women's names and a list of 10 accomplishments. And the objective was to match the woman's name with her appropriate accomplishment. This was a group of highly educated professional women and no one but Charlotte could match them. And so we in the U.S., and it's actually pretty true almost everywhere around the world, in the U.S., we don't learn about women in history in any of the primary schooling that we do, any of the secondary schooling that we do. And so the purpose was to bring that history to the public in a way that was accessible and fun and beautiful and easy to read, and all of those kinds of things. And mm. we were very fortunate to find a graphic designer who was fabulous, who designed not only her story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America, but also Hollywood, her story, and Illustrated History of Women in the Movies, the book that Barbara Bridges and I did that came out in 2019. Mm. Another good friend. And and so you have a new book. And so I, I, I completely recommend all of your books to our listeners. I mean, they're, I find them fascinating. In fact, I think I have th- at least three copies of her story in storage in the United States, which at some point I'm going to unpack my things again. Um, so let's talk about your most recent book, Over, Under, Around, and Through. Tell us a little bit about the story of this book. Over, Under, Around, and Through, How Hall of Famers Surmount Obstacles is a pandemic book. Mm -hmm. It would never have happened without the pandemic. I was on a women's forum virtual happy hour who had virtual happy hours before the pandemic in May of 2020. And one of the women also named Jill, it's very interesting. They're like the only two Jills that I know in my whole life. Um, suggested at that virtual wine around, so a virtual happy hour, that I write a book on how women in the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame overcame the obstacles in their lives. Mm. And I approached Ellie Greenberg, another woman whom you knew, an exceptional woman in the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame and a friend of mine. And I said, Ellie, you want to write a book? And so we did. The first time was lunch on her back patio, socially distanced. And we said, we'll approach the women that we know in the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. And we'll ask them about a problem that they had in their lives and how they overcame that problem. And we said, we're shooting for 30. And we got 31, including the two of us. And then I did the research on 19, I did more research on more than 19, but found 19 stories that I could use in the book. So these are all stories, 350 to 450 word stories 
of how women overcame obstacles in their lives. And what we found out was that they used 10, well, 10 skills, except it's actually really 13, but you can only have a list that has 10 right. on it. So mental intelligence, emotional intelligence, social support, moral compass and spirituality, determination, perseverance, persistence, optimism, creativity, resilience, action orientation, and passion. And then, and some people find this really amazing, we did not say, okay, we have 50 stories and we have 10 skills, so we have to do five stories in each skill. No, we slotted the stories where they belonged. Mm. And we made a determination that a particular story went under resilience or it went under optimism or it went under passion. Mm. And Gretchen, what's happening is that people are, are telling me that they find the book inspirational and uplifting, that it's a handbook for them. When they have a problem, they go read the stories, they get remotivated, it provides really sustenance to their soul. And, you know, it was just our pandemic project. Mm. But um, there's now an audiobook for Over, Under, Around, and Through. There's middle school curriculum available on the Fulcrum Publishing website. And people are just saying the most amazing things about this book. And I'm, I'm speaking about it all over the U.S., and hopefully internationally as well, because people really want these stories. They need these stories, particularly coming out of the pandemic. Mm. Well, you just sparked an idea, Jill, because uh, recently you were on a panel virtually here for me in Australia with a group of women in the pipeline industry, because I knew you'd be so inspiring to them, which you were. Maybe we need to get you on a plane over here to Australia to do some speaking around your book soon. I think that would be a great idea. Well, I would I would love to. And one of the very exciting things that has happened is when I speak is that one of my friends who I went to college with, actually, she wasn't in engineering. She was in journalism. She used to be a CNN science reporter. She's an, a video journalist. And she took portions. We did 31 Zoom interviews. Um, and she's taken little sound bites from those interviews and put the woman's portrait on the soundbite so it's actually really effectively a video. And you can hear the passion wow. in these women's voices as they talk about these obstacles and how they overcame them. So it's not just me talking. It's actually the women talking themselves. And... I mean, you hear Diana Wall talking about how this professor, when she was a young, young professor, said, we don't need any more women in ag. And you hear Martha Uriosti say, I have relentless optimism. You can't make me give up. You can't make me give in. Mm. You know, you just hear this fabulous passion. So I'm now using those with my presentations. Mm, that's so amazing. So Jill, I think it's really important that we lift up challenges and what I'm realizing sitting here listening to you. So that the only book I've written, which is a lot smaller than that one, eight steps to being a great working mom. I wrote it because a girlfriend came to me when she was having her first child and my, my kids were young and I was still traveling every week. And 
Uh, I think I, I traveled every week until they were seven and eight years old. And But what I realized when she came to me, she goes, hey, how do you do it? You have it all put together. It's all perfect. Like you're traveling and you know, your life is all hunky dory. And I said, Oh, my gosh, that's a facade. Like, I, I don't know why you think that but I'm one sick nanny day away from disaster. And we looked and and so the the theme of the book was lighten up on yourself. And we're and let's change the conversation. Let's be really open about how hard it is to be a working parent. I, I took the mom perspective, but it's just as hard for working dads to juggle life and aging parents and kids and everything. And so lifting up the challenges that these women have faced, because we do have a tendency to put other people on a pedestal and say, wow, you know, they're, they've had an easy route or whatever, and not to really realize the challenges that we've overcome and to learn from that and to understand that we all have these speed bumps in our lives. Right. And I think one of the very interesting things when we started, we did the, the first interview we did was with Temple Grandin. And it was just a wonderful interview. Uh, many people probably know that Temple Grandin is an animal scientist, and she's also an autism expert. There's a movie that's been made about her life. And she started the process for us. But I think that what came out of the interviews was no one had ever asked any of these women about the problems that they'd had in their lives and how they'd overcome those problems. And everybody has them. Mm -hmm. the, just like, you know, you were one sick nanny away from disaster. These, these women, all of us, all of us have pretty much problem after problem after problem <laughs> mm -hmm. in our lives that we have to overcome. And so to know that we have that commonality with each other, that there are these kinds of issues, oh my goodness gracious, it, it was really important. And then, I mean, Arlene Hirschfeld, whom you also know, does anybody know that she lost a son at a month old? No, I didn't know that. Five funerals in three years or three funerals in five years, whatever it is, it says it in the book. You know, one was her father, one was her infant son, one was somebody else. Mm. I mean, we all have these issues. How do we deal with them? How do we overcome them? And now coming out of the pandemic, how do we ensure people's mental health that they have to get to a point? We all have to get to a point where we understand this is life. This is normal. It's not normal for there to be one success after another. It's normal to have one problem after another. And to build up resilience. And I think that's, you know, having sitting here in Melbourne, Australia, the city that I think set the record for the most days of lockdown, 240 days of uh, living in a high rise and only being able to leave for an hour a day. And what people don't realize, like you could, you had to be exercising. If you got caught sitting on a bench, it was an $1,800 ticket. So it was, um, it was quite the um, experience here, but now we have war, we have inflation, we are facing a possible recession and it will be a global recession and um, that we have resilience and can draw from stories of other people other inspiring women um, of how to how to overcome that. So Jill, I want to make sure people know how to find your book over, under, around, and through your latest. And I would recommend her story and all the other amazing books that you've 
that you've written. How do we find your book? Well, you can go to my website, jillteachin.com, or the publisher for Over, Under, Around, and Through is Fulcrum Publishing, and it's available through their website, but it's also available on amazon.com or almost mm-hmm. anywhere else that people normally buy their books. Jill, I could... Um, I could literally literally talk to you for hours, and it's just so great to connect with you. We had a near miss and almost saw each other in Colorado a few weeks ago. Um, For our listeners out there, as we're wrapping up, one, maybe one more inspirational. um, Actually, I take that back, Jill. I want to ask you a question that popped into my mind before we go to that. You've written each of your books, each of your books that we've spoken about, you've written with a co-author. Yes, what inspires you to collaborate? Because that's another thing that I think is really important in the world is learning how to collaborate and play with different people to do different things. Why do it with somebody? Why not do it with yourself? Well, I do have other books, Gretchen, that I have written by myself. It, it's, I have a, an electronic book through the Institute of Electronics, Electrical and Electronics Engineers, an IEEE ebook called Recognizing and Taking Advantage of Opportunities. And that's my life story. These books came to me, her story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America, came to me from Charlotte. Barbara Bridges was the one who suggested Hollywood, her story, and illustrated history of women in the movies. And I brought Ellie this book project because I thought it was a good project for the two of us to do together. We'd never had that opportunity before. And we had talked about projects we could do together. And so let me just say that it isn't always smooth sailing, just like we've talked about already with obstacles in our lives. And it helps us develop resilience and collaboration and consensus building skills and learning how to work with other people and persuasion and motivation and all kinds of skills. And and you don't win everything. You know, it's it's a matter of compromise. Yeah, I do love to collaborate. I think that's um one thing that makes things more fun for me is to do them with other people. So closing thoughts, um, an inspirational story from the book or something, you know, something for our listeners out there that everyone is facing challenges in the world. Um, your, your parting advice for them. You can do it. Everyone already has the tools. I mentioned 10 skills. Maybe they can go back and listen earlier in the podcast to those 10 skills. They have the tools that everyone has the tools that they need to overcome the obstacles in their lives. And the stories in Over, Under, Around, and Through may be from women, but they are universal stories that apply to everyone. Fabulous. Jill, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy, busy schedule to join us here on the Greatness Podcast. It's always good to catch up and I'll look forward to connecting with you during one of my trips to Colorado. We will figure out a time to get together. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you, Gretchen. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.